church, one way that we are committed to the Lord is that uh, we are committed to hearing the truths of God uh, through His Word. So let me invite you to open the Scriptures with me once again today to uh, the book of Exodus. We'll be in the second book of the Bible this morning, the book of Exodus, chapter 35, end of chapter 35, and into chapter 36. Uh, I know a number of you are, have been in Exodus in Sunday school, and so you are the experts uh, this morning. You know all uh, about this. But let's look at the Scriptures together. Let's learn from the Lord. And before we read God's Word, let me uh, begin with a question, and that is this. What, uh, what do you enjoy? Uh, what is it that you are good at? Uh, what, what is your thing? Uh, what are your things? What, what, what is it that you love to do and that you are especially equipped and gifted to do? And, and don't say nothing uh, because I know better. I know that this church, like every church, is filled with people who are gifted and equipped and passionate about a variety of things uh, and able to do things in a way uh, that declares the greatness of the God who made you. So what, what is your thing? You're good at math, you're good at science, engineering, perhaps the arts, maybe it's teaching or, or leading, maybe it's music performance, it's investing in children. What, what is it that you are especially good at? And then what you're good, when what you're good at, when your thing goes especially well, when you close the deal, when you lead well, when you play well, who gets the credit? Who, who do you give the credit? Is it you or is it the Lord? For our passage of Scripture makes abundantly clear that every gift that we have, every talent that we have, is ultimately from the Lord. These are parts of us, these are portions of us that should become altars on which the name of Jesus Christ is worshipped. So let's look at uh, the pages of Scripture this morning. Let's look at God's Word today. Exodus chapter 35, beginning in uh, verse 30. And as you find your place there, let me invite you once again to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Exodus 35, beginning in verse 30. I'll read through chapter 36, verse 7. And the Word of the Lord reads this way. Then Moses said to the Israelites... See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given him both and he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahizamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. So Bezalel, Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person whom the Lord had given ability and who, has, who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. 
So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. Today we acknowledge that this is your word. Lord, guide us now by the presence and power of your spirit and rightly dividing it, understanding it, and applying it to our lives as your people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen. Church, you may be seated. If you're visiting with us today or perhaps just haven't been here in a few weeks, uh, we're in a message series uh, titled Altars. In the Bible, altars are places of sacrificial worship. In this particular uh, story, this particular account in Exodus chapter 35 and 36 uh, recounts the building of a particular structure that is uh, the tabernacle or a tent of, of meeting, a sanctuary, a temporary dwelling place where God would reside among his people whom he had uh, delivered from slavery uh, in Egypt. And through this system of God dwelling with his people and his people approaching him through uh, the priestly system and the sacrificial system, uh, God taught his people about the significance of sin and sin, how sin severs our relationship with God. Even so, God wanted to be among his people. He called the people to be his people, and he wanted to dwell among them. He wanted to restore them into right relationship with him. He wanted to have fellowship and communion uh, with them. But God designed and devised and communicated this whole uh, sacrificial system for that very purpose. But we know from our time in the scriptures that uh, this tabernacle and, and sacrificial system later became the, the temple, that all of this was only temporary. This was never meant to be a permanent thing. This was a tool that God used to teach and to equip and to prepare and ultimately to anticipate uh, the coming of uh, the once and for all, the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of, of the world. And so when we come to a, a text like this, when we come to Exodus chapter 35, when we come to any Old Testament uh, text, we, we come to it through that lens. We come to it through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't help ourselves. Sort of be like if I was to, in a few days from now or sometime in the future, uh, watch a rerun uh, of the Arkansas Ole Miss game yesterday. Now, you know, many of you know, I'm an Arkansas fan. This was good. We finally got uh, a win uh, by the skin of our teeth. This was a great comeback, come from behind. Uh, but if I was to watch that game now, a rerun of that game, I, I uh, would watch it uh, a little different way, right? Because I, I know the outcome. I might still be critical of, of some of the things that, that happen, some of the plays that, uh, that take place, but I'm not going to sweat them too much because I know who wins the game. Likewise, church, when we come to the Scriptures, we cannot help as followers of Jesus who know the rest of the story, who've been touched by the gospel of Christ, we can't help but to come to the Scriptures through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know the rest of the story. Even so, we learn some, some truths from uh, passages such as this that were pre the coming uh, of Jesus Christ. But uh, before we think about that, I want us to, to, to bring to this text uh, two interpretive keys 
from the broader context of the pages of Scripture. And the first is this, that Jesus became the true tabernacle. Jesus became the true tabernacle. So this tabernacle system that allowed God, the holy and eternal and righteous and perfect and unchanging God, to dwell among a sinful people, ultimately anticipated another who would come. The fullness of God's presence in bodily form, the fullness of God in human flesh. John, a disciple of Jesus, thinking theologically about the incarnation, uh, writes in John chapter 1 that uh, the Son of God, he says the word, but reference to the Son of God, the revelation of God, the Son of God uh, became flesh and made his dwelling or tabernacled among us. Jesus is the true tabernacle. Jesus is the fullness of God in human flesh coming to reside among us. And secondly, the same Jesus made the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus made the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So this tabernacle system and structure and sacrificial system required substitutionary sacrifices, the shedding of blood for atonement. That God could could be just and at the same time have a relationship with His people. But this practice only anticipated the once and for all, the ultimate, the final, the greatest sacrifice of all, Jesus Christ, the Son of God in human flesh, laying down His life on the cross of Calvary. John writes elsewhere, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, he says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus became the true tabernacle, and Jesus made the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Those truths help us understand, as believers today, what is being conveyed here in Exodus chapter 35 and 36. We read this text through that lens But even so, there are still deep truths of God conveyed right here. One of which is this. God takes pleasure in beauty, excellence, and order. God takes pleasure in beauty, excellence, and order. Let's look back at the text. Exodus chapter 35, verse uh, 32. Uh, God uh, equipped and called these individuals to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic uh, crafts. Verse 35, uh, he has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers, in blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. And it goes on in chapter 36, verse 1, and Moses instructs them to carry out these plans just as God has commanded, just as God has has designed. You see, God had a specific design, an intricate design, a careful design that displayed His his excellence, that displayed His order, that displayed His beauty and the beauty that He calls us to reflect and anticipate and participate in. I think we learn from a, a passage of Scripture like this that gifts in art and design and creativity are ultimately from the Lord. They reflect who He is and His nature. And, and those who have these gifts, if you have these gifts, if you're creative, if you're artistic, if you're uh, musical, if you have gifts in the art, then cultivate these gifts. Use these gifts for the glory of God. God delights in these things. 
God is a God who takes pleasure in beauty, excellence, and order. I think we see that in creation. Let's reflect on the creation account for a moment. Genesis chapter 1, a passage that you're likely uh, familiar with. Genesis 1, verse uh, 2, we read, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. I think a certain level of disorder here, emptiness, darkness. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called, de- called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. God brings order. He brings design. He sees that it's good. And this pattern we see over and over in the creation account that God speaks, and it happens, and it was good. God speaks, and it happens, and it was good. God is a God of order and design. He's a God of excellence. Psalmist encourages us in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. David, writing in Psalm 27, verse 4, writes this. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In other words, he wants to be in the presence of God. He wants to be with God, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. God is a God of beauty, excellence, and order. He is a beautiful God. He calls us to participate in reflecting on his beauty and and valuing things of creation Participating in valuing what he values. God takes pleasure in these things. And because he does, let's practice excellence in all things. Believers, church, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's practice excellence in all things. And all that we do and all that we undertake, may we do it with excellence. If you can cook and cook well. If you're a sower, then sow the very best that you can. If you're gifted in design, then then design well. Do your best. If you can play the trumpet, then play the trumpet with excellence. If it's algebra, then do algebra well. If it's teaching, then teach well. Use the gifts and talents that God has given you and perform them, do them, engage in them with excellence for the glory of the one who made you. Paul once wrote to some slaves living in the first century, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. He said, whatever you do, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Likewise, church, may that be true of us. In all that we undertake and all that we do, and all that we go about, may we engage in it, may we perform it, may we do it for the glory of the God who made us. God takes pleasure in beauty, excellence, and order. And this very same God gifts His people in ways that we can practice these things. God gifts his people to serve one another and to reveal his glory. I think the Bible teaches, I think this portion of God's word teaches that God gifts his people to serve one another and to reveal his glory. Notice that God is the primary actor here. He is the one calling. He is the one inviting. He is the one gifting. He is the one equipping. He is the one who uh, is, is uh, creating all of us uniquely in a way that reflects who He is as creatures made in His image. He is the one who extends the invitation to us to know Him, to live for Him. 
extending the invitation for us to know and enjoy Him by giving us the capacity to reason, by displaying His beauty and His majesty in creation, by creating each of us with a longing to know Him, and by giving us the fullness of the story of salvation through His written Word. God extends an invitation to us for God calls. God is a God who calls. Calls the people. Extends the invitation to us to know Him, hear the call of God and Exodus chapter 35, verse verse 30. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel of the tribe of Judah. Again, specifically, verse 34. And he has given both him and Aholiab, another specific individual, son of Ahizamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. Chapter 36, verse 2. Then Moses summoned these individuals and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. The invitation was extended. The call of God was given. The call here was to build a tabernacle. Build a meeting place. To build a structure where God would dwell in a special way. And the call that He extends on our life is not quite the same. We're not called to build a structure that God will inhabit in the same way that He inhabited the tabernacle in that day. For today God inhabits His people. He dwells among His people. And He calls us to build up the church for His glory through substitutionary sacrifice. Through the gift of His Son, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, God calls us to be His people. He calls us to be His followers. He invites us to be in right relationship with Him. He invites us to repent and turn to Him for life and salvation. This God calls us and He equips those He calls. God equips those He calls. He equips those He calls. Chapter 35, verse 31. Listen, as we look back at the text, listen for, for God's actions here. Listen for God equipping here. The repeated emphasis on these gifts and these skills coming from the Lord. Chapter 35, verse 31. And He has filled him, God has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Verses 34 and 35. And he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahizamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. God has filled them, verse 35, with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers, and weavers. Chapter 36, verse 1. So Bezalel, Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work or to do the work just as the Lord commanded. And finally, verse 32, then Moses summoned these people. He summoned every skilled person to whom the Lord had given the ability and who was willing to come and do the work. You see, when it comes to using our gifts and our talents, there's no room for boasting. Because ultimately, these things are not from us. They are from the Lord. He has gifted us with them. He has equipped us with them, ultimately, for His purposes, for His glory. And interestingly, this is the first time, Exodus chapter 35, verse 31, this is the first place in the Scriptures that uh, God mentions someone being filled with the Spirit. God fills Bezalel with the Spirit, I think signifying that the tabernacle, dwelling place for God, could not be built apart from the Spirit's work. The same is true today. We know through the Scriptures that God fills all believers in Jesus with the Spirit, that He dwells in us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 and 22 
speak to that end in him. The whole building, the whole body of believers, the whole structure of, 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 of people is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. Paul says, and in him you too, Gentiles and Jews, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. God's Spirit resides in believers today. We can't be the people that God has called us to be. We can't serve him in the way that he has called us to serve him apart from his Spirit leading the way. He equips us. He calls us. He equips those he calls and he equips us, gifting us with various spiritual gifts for the overall good and growth of of the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. God gifts us. He gifts us to serve one another and to serve others for their good and for the glory of our maker. So all of us ought to ask the question of ourselves this morning. How can our gifts and passions reveal God's glory? How can your gifts and your passions, your desires, things that you love, gifts and the talents that you have, how can these things reveal the glory of God? After all, they find their source in Him. They are ultimately from Him. Doesn't mean we can't misuse them. Doesn't mean we can't use them in a way that dishonors Him. But ultimately, gifts and talents and passions are from the Lord. So we ought to find ways to use them as altars of our lives on which the name of Jesus is worshipped. So if you're a nurse, be the best nurse you can be. Care for your patients the best way that you know how. If you're an engineer, then design and assess and construct in a way that glorifies the Lord. If you're a teacher, then invest your heart and your mind into the lives of your students. If you're a mother, then be the very best mother your children could have. If you're a husband, be the best husband. If you're a student, be the best student. If you're an artist, be the very best artist you can be so that when others ask you, how do you do what you do? And how do you do it so joyfully? You can tell them, I do it because I believe God made me to do this, to be this. And he gifted and equipped me in order to use my gifts to reveal his glory and his goodness. How can your gifts and your passions reveal God's glory? Secondly, I think we ought to ask ourselves as people of faith, as those who comprise the church, how can we use our gifts to serve his church? How can you serve his church? How can you serve his church? After all, God's design is to equip those who are part of the household of faith, those who are part of a family of faith, a family of believers to play a part, to serve one another for the glory of, of God, and to work together to grow the church in a way that reflects God's goodness and His grace. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 and following, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encourage, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We've been fortunate in recent weeks, the last couple of weeks, to hear from some members of this church how this church has shaped their faith over the course of their involvement here 
we're fortunate to be part of a, a church that loves one another and loves the Lord. And I think if we were to press these stories, these testimonies that we've heard deeper, we would also hear that the, the flip side is true, that these particular inv- individuals and others like them have shaped this church in a way that reflects the goodness and the grace and the equipping of God. How are you serving His church? How are you using your gifts for the overall good and growth of the church? Are you encouraging? Are you greeting? Are you ushering? Are you teaching? Are you a nursery worker? Are you uh, a facilities fixer-upper? Use your gifts, whatever they may be, to serve the overall good and growth of this body of believers. And we don't do so in order to gain credits for ourselves. We don't do so because God looks with special favor on those who serve Him. No, we do so because God served us by sending His Son to us to give His life as an, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we serve Him because it is the saving grace that compels us. The grace of the gospel, God's grace compels us to serve Him and it compels us to, to give to Him and to, to His causes for His glory. God's redeeming grace compels His people to give and serve sacrificially. Scriptures teach that God's redeeming grace, His saving grace, compels His people to give and to serve sacrificially. In other words, we don't give or serve out of duty or obligation. We give and serve because His grace has gripped us. We've been motivated by the God who saves us. That was true in the lives of the Israelites here. Another passage of Scripture that's almost identical to this one, that's the giving of these instructions to Moses on Mount Sinai, recorded in Exodus chapter 31. You Perhaps you know the story. Moses comes off the mountain to find the people worshiping a golden calf, an idol, rebelling against God, turning away from the God who redeemed them, who saved them from slavery in Egypt. But even so, God is merciful with them. He's patient with them. He's gracious to them. And now we get to the fulfillment of those commands, of those instructions, chapter 35 and 36, and they're carrying out these instructions with an eagerness, with a willingness, with a desire, because they've been shaped by the grace of the God who saved them. Did you catch what happened here in the final verses of this passage, chapter 36, verses 2 and, and following, willingly, it's a key word here. Some translations say uh, their, their hearts were prompted. In other words, they, they, they served. Those who had the ability and who were willing came and they served. But there were others. Those whose hearts were prompted to give. They gave abundantly. They gave generously. They gave so much to the building of this tabernacle that Moses and the others had to say, Stop, wait a minute. We have more than we need. Don't bring any more. We have all that we can handle. Church, is no secret that we're right in the middle of a growing together campaign as we anticipate the Lord's continued work and growth here in the life of Meadowbrook Baptist Church. We've all been asked to pray and reflect on how we can give generously and sacrificially to this particular cause that the Lord has led us together to above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings. And you have this promise from me. That once we have everything we need for this project, we won't ask for any more for this. You, you can rest assured, we will not ask for more than what it takes to do the Lord's work in this way. But may our hearts be gripped like the Israelites' hearts were gripped by the grace of God. What if, church, we responded 
hearts of gratitude like these descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob did. And we gave sacrificially and generously and abundantly to this cause. So much so that we had to say enough. We've got everything we need. The Lord has provided. Let's pause. Let's pray about what the Lord would have us do now with these resources that reflect the glory of his great name. So the grace of God grips us. The grace of God motivates us. The grace of God transforms us as it did the Israelites to, to serve willingly, to give sacrificially. See, the same truth is true for us. That God has spared us. He has spared us despite our idolatry, despite our rebellion, despite our pursuing our, our own will and way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because we know that truth, because we've responded to the gospel of Jesus, we can join with the Apostle Paul in saying, for Christ's love compels us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. Because we can't help ourselves. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Friends, it's the grace of God compelling you to live for him, to serve him, to give for his glory. It's the grace of God leading you to live for him or are you living for yourself? Friends, let's live for him. Let's give and serve His church with joyful, grateful hearts. Responding to the overflow of of grace and mercy that He has extended to us. Let's, Let's give and serve with joyful, grateful hearts because of who He is and because of what He has done for us. He has called us. He has equipped us. He has spared us by His redeeming grace. May His grace compel us. May His grace guide us. May His grace lead us that we might follow Him with surrender, with sacrifice, with praise for the glory of His name here and to the ends of the earth. For God calls and equips His people to use their gifts to glorify Him. Church, God calls and equips His people to use their gifts, whatever they may be, their gifts, their talents, their resources to glorify Him. Have you responded to the call of God? Have you responded by laying your life before Him? Have you responded by repenting and trusting in Jesus, by turning to Him for life and salvation? Have you responded to God's call? And are you using your gifts for God's glory? Father, we pray that that would be so among us and in us. In this body of believers known as Meadowbrook Baptist Church, may we be a people who are faithful who are sacrificial, who are committed to you because of the sacrifice you gave for us. Oh, we can never repay you for what you have done for us. But we love you because you loved us first. Lord, grip our hearts by your grace. Fill us with your spirit. Convict us, encourage us, shape us, mold us that our our lives, that our hearts, that our minds, that our talents would reflect the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. It's in His name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.